getting an accurate diagnosis really does need to be the first part in any journey. And I know that's hard sometimes to get that message across to farmers because they want that silver bullet, which kind of segues nicely into the second point, is that we don't look at vaccines as a silver bullet. They're not always the sole answer, and and in fact, most of the times, they're only part of the answer. Welcome to the Vet Times Podcast, a concise, weekly, topical, clinical podcast from the people behind Veterinary Times. Vaccines are an important part of cattle vets' armoury, and discussions about them with farmers have to touch on economic as well as health benefits. Phil Elkins discusses this area in this latest Vet Times podcast. So there's quite a few vaccinations available. How many and, and what are they vaccinating against in terms of beef and dairy? You're right, there are quite a few vaccines available. And actually, um, I suppose in, in some ways it would be remiss to give a, an exact number because there's new things being added and, and uh, potentially taken away all the time. But um, if we look at kind of the conditions that we're vaccinating for, because generally... Um, vaccines fit into into a number of categories um we, we've got a fairly extensive list actually within our armory so uh, we can vaccinate against mastitis respiratory disease scara clostridial disease and then a whole raft of kind of single agent vaccine uh vaccines so lungworm ringworm leptospirosis bvd salmonella blue tongue q fever right so um, from my perspective, I, I like to kind of almost categorize them rather than worrying about kind of specific individual ones. So what disease are we vaccinating against? But also, are we looking at um, a single agent pathogenic or are we looking at vaccinating against a disease that's multifactorial? Are we looking at um, a vaccine that's got a single uh, single species within it or have we got a, a multivalent vaccine? Are we looking at a vaccine against something that only affects cattle or are we looking at something because there's potentially a, a risk of spread to other species and, and especially important when it's zoonotic um, and also kind of what what are we looking at for intended outcome of the vaccine are we looking at vaccines that are 100% protective or are we looking at vaccines that are just part of a control scheme so yeah it's um my my approach is really to try and categorise the vaccines rather than worrying about the individual specific ones. And in terms of how vets have these conversations with the farmers, is there any difficulty there and what sort of stages should they go through in terms of how they discuss vaccination protocols with farmers? I, I personally think that uh, actually sometimes we as vets we can just jump straight to vaccinating mm. um, and, and I think there's potentially more of a story that we should be be selling around it more of a journey that we should be going through as as veterinary advisors almost before we have the conversation about vaccinating um, and I suppose the first stage of that is always making sure that you've got an accurate diagnosis um, and that might sound really simple and really um, uh, logical and straightforward but there'd be many a case where a farmer would walk into a practice and say I've got calves with respiratory disease for example can I get a vaccine for it well actually until you know what pathogens are causing respiratory disease and what are the risk factors it's it's pretty much impossible to recommend the right vaccine so getting an accurate diagnosis really does need to be the first part in it in any journey um and, and i know that's hard sometimes to get that message across to farmers because they want that silver bullet but it's also important to to make sure which kind of segues nicely into the second point is that we don't look at vaccines as a silver bullet they're not always the the sole answer and, and in fact most of the times they're only part of the answer 
So I suppose an example of that is if we look at, again, sticking with respiratory disease. Well, we know that respiratory disease is a factor of the pathogens that are present, but it's also a factor of air quality, humidity, temperature, immunity, a whole raft of other factors. And if we're just jumping straight to that bottle of vaccine, we're potentially doing the farmer a bit of disservice. So there's quite a few things to bear in mind, I guess, here in terms of when's the best time to vaccinate. Is this peak of immunity an issue too? Yes, yeah. So um, it's important when, when we're looking at vaccines. So having made that decision that we're going to vaccinate um, and, and we've got the right vaccine available, we, we need to think about kind of what, what are we trying to achieve with the vaccine. Um, so uh, I suppose the most logical thing for me is uh, disease to, to demonstrate this um, is if we look at BVD, for instance. Now, one of the main reasons why we would be using BVD vaccines is uh, protection of the fetus in the first trimester so that we don't get persistently infected animals born that continue and, and persist within the herd. Um, so to do that, what we want is the peak of immunity around that first trimester of pregnancy. So historically, as vets, we've gone down the route of kind of blanket annual herd vaccination for BVD um, or six monthly, depending on which vaccine you're using. And I suppose I would just challenge vets to think about whether that's the, the best utilisation of the vaccine or whether we could perhaps be looking at um, vaccinating smaller batches throughout the year to ensure that they've got peak immunity in that first trimester of pregnancy. Uh, similarly, if you're talking about respiratory disease, actually you want peak immunity from that vaccine at the time when those animals are getting disease or in the early stages of disease. Um, and that will very much vary on a farm-by-farm -farm basis and will perhaps lead into different decisions around what vaccines we're using and at what time we're using those vaccines. And you touched on it a bit earlier, actually. We were saying that vaccination is very much part of the armoury. So there are lots of important other factors, aren't there, in terms of preventive health and herds that need bearing in mind? Yeah, definitely. Um, and again, there's a number of examples, and I'm, I'm loath to keep sticking on respiratory disease, so I'm going to jump to, to mastitis. If you look okay. at mastitis and the vaccines that we've got available, um, we've got vaccinate, a vaccine against Staph aureus, for example, which is a contagious pathogen. Now, we've had the five-point plan available for... 50 odd years, um, which is about control of contagious mastitis pathogens. And actually, um, that's not saying the vaccine doesn't have a role to play, but without undertaking those other control points, such as uh, using appropriate antibiotic trichotherapy for infected animals, culling of chronically infected animals, actually, we're going to smooth over the cracks, but we're not going to get on top of the disease. So, for each disease, so again, SCOWA, um, we've got a vaccine against rotavirus and coronavirus and K99 in coli. Well, cleanliness and, and paying suitable amounts of attention to, to colostrum in, intakes can play almost as big a role, if not bigger, at controlling SCOWA than, than the vaccine can. That's not to say, again, the vaccine doesn't have a role, but I think if we're just using them as a silver bullet, we're, we're misusing them. And there's a lot of evidence at vets' disposal, is there, in terms of how they can make the economic and also the health cases for vaccination? So you're right on the health side of it. There's, uh, there's a lot of research that's mm. been done with most vaccines, and they'll have a, a full data pack behind them about reduction of disease incidents and, and the knock-on effect on, on health and productivity. Um, actually converting that into pure economics is, is um, less available. 
So, um, and, and when we look at economics, we're looking at uh, return on investment. Now, the investment's fairly easy to see. The return is perhaps less easy to see because none of these these benefits from from the health side are are guaranteed, um, and none of them are are black and white and binary things. It's not if you vaccinate, you will reduce your cases of X disease by Y percentage. There's always a range and there's always a, a degree of confidence around things. And, and there's factors around, like we discussed earlier, around timing that will imp, uh, impact how large a benefit you see off the back of it. So sometimes actually, for me, um, most of the times when you're talking about the economics of vaccinating, you can go back to some fairly basic principles on cost benefits. And because these vaccines are relatively cheap, the majority of them, you don't need to have that large a, a benefit to, to say that this is definitely worth doing. So if we look, for example, at black leg and grown cattle, the vaccine costs less than 50 pence per dose. So, and the consequences of an animal getting black leg is it dies. Right. So, 50 pence per animal to protect against death. I think that seems like a fairly sensible uh, investment for, for most farmers. And for me, for me, a clostridial vaccine is, is an essential. Um, some of them are, are less obvious. Some of the returns on investments are less obvious. But actually being aware of the economics around things is, is really important. Um, but yeah, there probably is a bigger need for, for more kind of what if analysis? So, if I vaccinate, what happens to the to the disease rate, and then therefore, what happens to the economics? Oh, obviously, the economic side is, is equally important. So, um, yes, I suppose there needs to be more of a balance in terms of the information that's out there. So, probably some work to do there on the economic side, maybe. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think just um, there, there are some tools out there for certain diseases, but just a bit of familiarity with with numbers and economics is is kind of essential really to to add into this part of the journey um and it doesn't need to be overly complex at the early stages but you've got to have an idea of what a cost of mass uh, what cost a, uh, a case of mastitis has or how much respiratory disease is knocking performance or um what's the knock-on effect of ringworm within the herd for example um but but for some of them actually i suppose this is an important point that, that i haven't mentioned so far but some of them are, um, i alluded to it earlier where there's a risk to human health actually you kind of need to build into the economics what what the knock-on effect of some of your staff being infected would say leptospirosis would have sure and uh, and that's not just an economic that's a, a human health and welfare issue as well So lots of factors to bear in mind on this, as with many subjects. But uh, thank you so much for joining us, Phil. Fascinating area. And there's an article on this going in issue 27. There'll be full links to that on the podcast when it goes out. But uh, for now, thank you so much for joining us. Lovely. Thanks, Paul. That's it for Vet Times podcast this time. Thanks to our guest. If you like what you've heard, tell your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. But for now, thanks for listening. See you next time.